Well, happy Sunday morning, church. Uh, happy rainy, wet. What is our football team doing in London Sunday morning to you? Uh, so glad you guys are here. Um, by the way, if you know the score, please don't flash it to me. Uh, I'm going to try and catch up a little bit later. But uh, yes, we're so glad you're here. Uh, my name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors. And uh, if this is your first time, we're just thrilled that you have uh, chosen to come spend a Sunday with us here in the gym uh, at Lake Forest Church. We are starting a brand new series, uh, excuse me, we started a brand new series last week called The Art of Neighboring. Uh, 2,000 years ago, uh, Jesus uh, said, look, if, if you're going to boil it down, someone came and said, if you're going to boil everything down to one idea, one statement, one instruction, Jesus, what would it be? And he said, here it is, you ready? Here, here, all of everything boils down to this one thing. It's this, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. That's it. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Okay, so in other words, love the Lord your God with everything you've got and love your neighbor as yourself. So that's what we're doing, or rather, that's what we're asking in this series. Uh, We, along with hundreds of other churches from around Charlotte, are setting aside the month of October to consider what Jesus calls the greatest commandment. Loving God and loving neighbor. But last week when we started, we said, look, what what does Jesus actually mean by this? Because quite honestly, I'm pretty good at metaphorically loving my metaphorical neighbor, right? I'm really good at that. But what if Jesus is actually inviting me to love my literal neighbor? What, What difference might that make in my neighborhood? What difference might that make in our communities if we took Jesus' great commandment Literally, if we took Jesus' great commandment seriously. And so last week we said, look, uh, this art of neighboring, living out this commandment, begins with one simple step. One simple thing that we got to do, which is we got to learn our neighbors' names. (laughs) Because if we don't know their names, it's going to be really hard to actually love them. And so if you were with us, you, we gave out one of these. This is our little uh, Art of Neighboring tic-tac-toe board. And don't worry, if you weren't with us, we've got one of these at the end of the service. You can take one of these on your way out. But this is a little refrigerator magnet, because who doesn't need something else stuck to their fridge? Uh, but here's how this works. We challenged each other last week to actually learn the names of the eight immediate neighbors around our house, right? In fact, we had a little game during the service where we had, we had to try and name them, and it was like a competition between spouses, actually, who would win. Uh, I'll, I'll give you one guess who the winner in our household was. It wasn't me. Uh, but I, I asked the congregation, I said, how many of eight, these eight folks can you name? And, you know, truthfully, only one out of ten of us could name all eight neighbors. Only one out of ten. I, I could name four, just true confession, I could name four. So I've had my homework this week. I've, I've got this on my refrigerator at home, and I'm trying to learn the names of all of my eight immediate neighbors. Anybody actually do, did anybody actually meet a new neighbor or learn a name this week who was here last week? Anybody? Anybody? Nobody? Oh, no, I'm just kidding. I, here's your challenge, right? Here's your challenge. What would it look like to learn the names of our neighbors? I was thinking about this week, uh, honestly, in my life, and I don't know if this is true for you, but this is true in my life. One of the great obstacles to loving my neighbors is not just knowing their names. One of the great obstacles to loving my neighbors literally is just my time. 
When I, when I imagine, like, I barely have enough time to keep up with my existing relationships and my kids and my wife and our date night and just all of the work responses, everything. You mean, Aaron, I have to make room for eight more relationships in my life? I don't even have room for one more relationship in my life. How am I going to take Jesus' command seriously with the kind of pace that I keep in my life? And so that's actually the question I want to wrestle with you on today. Here, here's the question. I think we need to ask if we're really going to take Jesus' command seriously. You ready for this? Here's the question we're going to talk about today, so you know where we're going. Do we live at a pace that allows us to be available to the others around us? Do we live at a pace that allows us to be available to others around us? Because I don't know about you, the truth about me, I keep a pretty fast pace, and I'm not sure the answer to that question is yes. In fact, uh, interestingly enough, there was a study done, you know, we, we live in a time and age where we have no shortage of technological tools to help us manage our time, right? Well, would you believe back in the 1960s, uh, the Senate formed a subcommittee on time management because they were worried about all these technological advances. Here, here's what the Senate, uh, the subcommittee uh, was worried about. They said, you know what, technology is moving so fast that if we don't get out in front of this, here's the problem we're going to have. Our people in America are not going to know what to do with all their free time. That was the problem. In fact, they said, you know what, in, unless they start working fewer hours, taking more vacations, and retiring early, we're going to have a big problem on our hands. Now, how many of you would say that your problem today is you have too much free time? Anybody? No hands to that one either, right? No, that, that's none of our problems. In fact, the reality is, is, yes, all of those technological advances have helped us be more efficient with our time. But what have we done? We've just filled it up with more stuff, more activities. Go, 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 and go. And that's kind of the conundrum we find ourselves in when it comes to this art of neighboring. I think there are a couple myths that keep us moving forward at this kind of crazy pace. And uh, I just want to list a couple of them. Maybe you have some that you would add to my list. But these are three things I think keep us going at this heavy clip. First of all is this one. Myth number one is that someday things are going to settle down. Anybody ever said that to a spouse? I think I say that to my wife like once a week. You know, if we could just get through this week, then finally we'll be able to catch our breath, right? I think I've been saying that for years. Right? In fact, I, I saw a tweet that I, uh, on social media I just had to share with you guys. I love this. Uh, it said this, I love how being an adult is just saying, after this week, things will slow down a bit again to yourself over and over until you die. <laughs> I think that's my life. That's my life. Okay, how about myth number two? Maybe this is more your flavor. Myth number two, someday more will finally be enough. Someday, more will finally be enough. Now, we don't tend to say this one out loud to each other, but we say it quietly inside. Somehow, I'm just one more purchase, one more acquisition away from contentment. Finally, it will be enough. But when that one gets in the driver's seat, it will just run your life ragged. Or myth number three, this is the most pervasive one, I I think. Uh, Myth number three is this. Everyone lives like this, Aaron. Everyone lives like Everyone is hurried and worried until they're buried. They live this crazy, crazy pace. And if I don't keep up that pace, guess what? I'm going to fall behind. I'm going to miss out. But the reality is not everyone lives like that. 
In fact, what I want to suggest to you today, that kind of lifestyle, that kind of pace is actually a choice that we make. Truth, of it, truth is, most of us feel like we have to live this way. But 2,000 years ago, Jesus gave an invitation to a different kind of life, a different way of living. He, in fact, he said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What is this invitation that Jesus gives? Well, last week we looked at Luke chapter 10. Luke is one of the gospel writers, one of the guys who did a study, a first hand account, eyewitnesses of Jesus' life, and he wrote down that story for us. It's the Gospel of Luke. And in chapter 10 is where we discover Jesus' great command, to love God and to love neighbor. And if you were with us last week, you remember a smart young lawyer comes up to Jesus and says, okay, Jesus, I get this command, but who is my neighbor? In response to that question, Jesus told a story about the Good Samaritan. Maybe you know that story. But right when that story ends... Right at the very end of the Good Samaritan, a whole nother scene is given to us in Luke's gospel. It's found in verse 38, and I want to read it to you today. As Jesus and his disciples were on the way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. This morning, I want to look at this story of the two sisters. And this encounter that Jesus has, because there's a reason why this story follows right on the tail of the Good Samaritan, and that is this. What Martha and Mary represent is the decision that we are all faced with as to whether or not we are going to live out this great commandment. Now, Martha, let's look at Martha first. Let's look at each sister in turn. Martha uh, is kind of what we expect from the sister, right? Uh, We're told that she opens up her home to Jesus and the disciples. That seems to be a good thing. Uh, She's preparing a meal. They're they're hungry. She's going to feed them. Uh, I get that. I've got a house of boys. Uh, And then she's focused on all of her hosting duties. And at first glance, all of this seems really, really good, right? What's wrong with what Martha's doing? Nothing. This seems like good stuff. But then Jesus says this kind of provocative thing. He says, Martha, you're, you're worried and upset, You're hurried, you're rushed, you're distracted. And then in like that Brady Bunch fashion, he says, Martha, 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 you are worried and upset about the wrong things. One of the privileges I have as a pastor is getting to officiate weddings. And I just love it. I was counting the other day. I think I've gotten to officiate over 50 weddings in my life. And uh, it, it's such a magical moment. I mean, I get to stand there when, when a man and a woman are standing side by side, looking at each other, and, and they're, well, they're pledging their souls to one another. I mean, it, it's this sacred kind of moment, right? Uh, but what's so striking to me of all these weddings is, is how easy it is, for as powerful as that moment is, as beautiful as that moment is, how easy it is for them to utterly miss the moment itself. In fact, I was thinking about a wedding I did in California when I, I still lived out in Los Angeles. And, 
this couple was really interesting. I mean, they had spent hordes of money on this wedding time. I mean, they've been playing this thing for over a year and they're all there. They're standing there. And then true story, they're facing me and I'm giving the little, what they call a homily. It's like a little miniature sermon. And I'm talking about the sacredness of this commitment. When the bride looks over at the bridesmaid and goes this, she goes, fix the flowers. True story. I mean, this girl made Bridezilla look like a purple unicorn. You know what I mean? It's just like... (laughs) And I thought, really? I mean, we're in this sacred moment, and she's utterly missing what's happening. See, Martha's story reminds us that we are all prone to missing what matters most. When we get hurried, when we get distracted, even by good things. Do the flowers matter? Yes, the flowers matter. They just don't matter in that moment. Even by good things, we can miss out on the most important thing that is right in front of us. One of the books that has had a huge impact on my spiritual journey is a book called The Life You've Always Wanted. It's by a guy named John Ortberg. And uh, John writes this about the destructive power of hurry in our lives. He says, hurry, hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. John Ortberg actually coins a phrase. He calls it Hurry sickness. Do you kind of get the feeling for that? Hurry sickness. We kind of all suffer from this hurry sickness. He goes on to say the reason why hurry sickness is so dangerous is because love and hurry are not compatible. Because love always takes time. And time is the one thing hurried people don't have. And I don't know about you, but when I think about my own life, I know that to be true. I've experienced that. But it's so, so, so hard to let go of those myths. The myths that maybe it'll just get easier next week. Or, you know what, I, I got to keep, everybody lives this way. See, the truth is our relationships, whether it's our relationship with God or with our spouse, with our kids or with our neighbors, they all take time. Hurry is toxic to our relationships. And that is why this text that we read today is so important. Because what we learn from Martha right up front is simply this, that sometimes, sometimes we need to say no to good things in order to say yes to the important things. Sometimes we need to say no to good things in order to center our lives on the main thing. Now, I know I'm touching on a bit of a sacred cow here, especially in Lake Norman culture, because we pride ourselves on how busy we are. I mean, we are so convinced that we are like professional multitaskers, right? We get three human beings worth of stuff done in one life. And it's even more so uh, so true of our kids, right? Our kids here in Lake Norman can be, well, they can be in student government, they can be on the drama team, they can play travel sports, and by the way, they can make a 10,000 on the SAT, I think that's the top score these days. Oh, and by the way, they will have great friendships, a growing faith, and a strong connection to mom and dad, and get eight hours of sleep every night, right? This is the story we tell ourselves. But the truth is that every yes that we make in our life, everything we say yes to comes with an opportunity cost. Every yes has a long train of no's that follow in its soup, if we are really to say yes to it. Remember, this story, well, excuse me, that's what the, that is what is being portrayed here in this dilemma for Martha and Mary. 
Remember the story coming right out of Jesus' great commandment here. What's the important commandment? Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. And what Luke is showing us in the encounter of these two sisters is that our constant state of hurry might just cause us to miss out on what Jesus is doing right in front of us. Well, we've gotten a feel for Martha. Martha's hurried. She's distracted by the wrong things. Let's take a look at Mary, her sister. And it's important before we get to Mary to understand a little bit of the cultural background here because we're only going to be given one sentence on Mary, but it is chock full of meaning. Look at what the text says about it. Luke tells us, Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. See, Luke didn't need to say much more than that because his audience knew exactly what he was talking about. You see, in Hebrew culture in Jesus' day, a woman would never be caught dead sitting at a rabbi's feet. Women were not allowed to be disciples of rabbis. So Mary's choice to sit at Jesus' feet is not just provocative, it is utterly countercultural. In fact, what was expected of women in Jesus' day was exactly what Martha was doing. Preparing the food, hosting the boys, doing all that work. But Mary, as good as those other things are, and as good as they were, Mary has chosen something different. She was supposed to be worried about the same stuff her sister was, but Mary cannot be bothered. She has found something more important. And in this simple act of sitting at Jesus' feet, Mary has chosen to make the main thing the main thing. And when Martha comes into the room, Oh, buddy, it's fireworks time, right? She's like, Jesus, tell my sister to get... Right? Probably not going to make those words into the Bible, but I'm sure they were there. And look at how Jesus gently corrects Martha. He says, Martha, 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 you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Oftentimes, I will hear good students of the Bible say something like this. They'll say, well, Aaron, you know, I'm more of a Martha type, or, you know, Aaron, I'm I'm more of a Mary type, as if Martha and Mary represent different personalities. Martha's the type A detail person, and Mary's the free-spirited artist or something. But Martha and Mary do not represent personality types. Martha and Mary represent a choice that we all must make. A choice to love God and love neighbor or to miss what God is doing right in front of us. And that is what Luke is wanting us to see in this story falling right upon the Good Samaritan. What I want to suggest to you this morning is there are three things that Martha is choosing when Jesus says she is choosing the better. Three things that Martha chooses, excuse me, that Mary chooses that enable her to live out this great commandment of Jesus to love God and love neighbor. So with these last few minutes, I just want to list out these three things and ask you to consider these choices in your own life. So first, how did Mary live out Jesus' command? First choice she did was in choosing to live counterculturally. We already talked about that just a little bit. You know, one of the things that people will often ask me when they find out I'm from Los Angeles is they'll say, wow, Aaron, you know, do you, do you miss it? You know, do you miss life in Los Angeles? Like, yeah, you know, I really miss it taking two hours on the freeway to go five miles. I mean, it's just, I miss that terribly. <laughs> yeah, 
Truth is, I miss some friendships. I miss some of the food. But I don't, I don't miss the hustle and bustle of L.A. In fact, when I was living there, one of the things I learned was that, uh, you know, that city never shuts off. There is no off switch in Los Angeles. It is constantly going. And when I was in my 20s, I loved that. I mean, it was just like, go, 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 go. And then I turned 30 and I had some kids and I had a wife and a family and a job. It started to wear me out. I couldn't keep up. And so then I was so excited when it, we felt the Lord calling us to North Carolina to be a part of this church plant here at Lake Forest. And, and I remember thinking, oh, this is going to be so awesome because the people in North Carolina, they're not hurried at all. All they do is sit on their porches and drink sweet tea and eat biscuits. It's going to be heaven, right? <laughs> and then we moved here and I found out that that's a bunch of lies. The only time y'all drink sweet tea and eat biscuits is when you're racing through the drive-thru at Bojangles going from one task to the next to the next to the next, right? See, the truth is that that culture of hurry, that, that hurry sickness is not just out there in the society. It's not just out there in the culture. That hurry sickness is in me. It's inside of me, which means I'm going to need a grace and a power greater than myself if I'm going to become free from it. Truth is, hurry sickness is prevalent in all of our lives. And I get it. I really do. I, I get it. It's in my life too. In fact, I was thinking about a couple of things that might trigger that for you. These are a couple of things that trigger it for me. Are y'all familiar with FOMO? FOMO, folks, right? Fear of missing out. I love social media. I really do. I'm a big fan. It's helped me connect with a lot of old high school friends and college friends and stuff like that. But you know what? Social media for me drives a kind of FOMO. Because I see the great vacations y'all take, and I see the great parties you throw, and I'm thinking, man, that my life, I need to be doing more of that, right? Whatever that is. Fear of missing out. Maybe fear of missing out isn't your deal. Maybe yours is FOFB, FOFB, is that you say? F-O-F-B? Uh, fear of falling behind, right? Seems like everybody else is getting a leg up, but, but you, and, and so you, you go harder, you go faster, you do more. You're afraid you're falling behind. Or maybe this one, uh, fear of my kids missing out or my kids falling behind. I'm not sure how you say that one. It's a little long. Um, we won't even try. Or the fourth one, which is fear of not having enough coffee. Uh, that's just mine. I just added that in there. See, truth is, there's a lot of stuff that drives us to hurry, to be distracted, to miss what God is doing right in front of us. But Mary, Mary chose to go against the grain. And here's what you need to know. If you are ever going to become a follower of Jesus, maybe you're, you're investigating what Jesus is all about. And if you are going to become a Christian, here's what you need to know about following Jesus. Because at some point in your life, at some point in your spiritual life, following Jesus will require you to go against the grain. It will. It will require you to make choices that are countercultural. That's what Jesus meant when he said, seek first the kingdom of God, and then everything else will find its right place. Which leads me to the second thing that Mary chooses. First way Mary embodies this command is by choosing to live counterculturally. Second thing Mary does is she chooses to say no to some good things. You know the brilliance of this passage? I mean, I find this, this passage in Luke so fascinating. The brilliance of this passage is not that Martha's choices were blatantly evil. It'd be a lot easier to see the dilemma if she was just making some terrible choices, right? 
If Martha was choosing to murder people or to worship idols or to cheer for the New England Patriots, like obviously evil things, right? If she's not making obviously evil choices, she's making good choices, but she's missing the most important thing right in front of her. See, oftentimes the great competitor for the important thing in our life is not some evil, but it's some alternative good. How we choose to spend our time will always show us what we value most. And sometimes that's going to require us to say no to good things. I was thinking about this in my own life. I I don't know how this is for you, but I like to, I like to think of myself as a person who values physical fitness, right? Like goes to the gym, does that. But the real way to tell if I value that is to look at my phone. If I look at the calendar on my phone and I can see that Jim appears on there, and I don't mean J-I-M, my friend, I mean G-Y-M on there. If it doesn't appear on there at least three times, then I don't really value health and fitness the way I want to think I do, right? How I spend my time reveals the truth about what I value most. What would your calendar reveal about your values? In fact, anybody want to come up on stage with your calendar? We can just look at any volunteer. No, okay, I didn't. That's all right. We won't. I won't do that to you. But if we were, what would your calendar suggest about what matters to you most? Of course, for Mary, the things she valued most, the value she placed was on spending time with Jesus in worship, in prayer, and study, just like here. But it was also about making time for relationship with Jesus and relationship with others, which brings me to the third and final thing. Mary lives out the great command by choosing to create margin in her life. Y'all know what margin is, right? Do you remember margin? I think we had it back in the 80s. Anybody remember margin? Here's what margin is. If this is all the time you were allotted in your life, 24 hours in a day, margin is when you only spend 22 of it and you still have two hours left over. That's margin. Space. Breathing room. I think this is actually one of the most important factors for us in understanding this story. Mary cannot be hurried. She has chosen to live life at Jesus' pace, sitting at his feet. She has margin, which means she's open for God to do something remarkable in her life. I was thinking about that in my own life. I had my own kind of Mary and Martha moment this week. Because uh, just this is how God works when I'm preaching on something. Of course, I got to fall on my own sword because it's just brutal, right? So here we were on Wednesday, on Wednesday, true story. I'm driving out of my neighborhood. Now, my neighborhood is a single lane road, including my house. There are nine houses. And so I'm driving down and a neighbor is coming up the street. And so we have to stop to figure out how to get around each other, right? Some of y'all been to my house, you know this. And, and here's the thing. As that neighbor's coming up the road, I'm praying, oh, Lord, please let it be one of the neighbors whose names I know, right? Because <laughs> if it's not, then I'm going to have to do that embarrassing assignment I asked all y'all to do last week that you didn't do anyways, but I'm going to have to do it because I preached it. Well, thankfully, it was one of the neighbors that I know. And uh, it, was, it was two of them from this family, and, and they pulled up, and, and he, he rolls down his window. I'm like, oh, no, okay, I guess I have to now stop and talk because I'm preaching on the art of neighboring. I can't just pass him by, even though I'm in a hurry. But I stop and we start this conversation. And so it's so funny. He had noticed on my wife's Facebook page, a Bible study that she was starting, but he mistakenly thought we were starting at our house. Uh, and so he said, Hey, and by the way, this family, are, they are not Christians. Um, he said, Hey, uh, that Bible study that you're starting tonight, can we come? 
I'm sitting there thinking, okay, now what do we do, right? <laughs> One, this is a women's Bible study, and this dude's wanting to come. That, that's not going to go over real well. Uh, so I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, and then this is the honest thought that came over my mind. I thought, you know what? I'm so busy, I don't even know what night of the week I would do this with my neighbors. Now, do you feel the irony in that? I'm a pastor. My non-Christian neighbors are asking to come over to my house to read the Bible with me, and I don't have time in my schedule. There's something wrong with this picture. So I called Mary Rob. I said, Rob, you're not going to believe this. So-and-so and so-and-so, they want to come over. Something's got to change, right? We have to change something about our lives because God is doing something, and I don't want to miss out on being a part of what he's doing. It was a Martha and Mary moment. Truth is, loving our neighbor, loving our neighbor literally, will always take time. How might God be inviting you to use the time he's given you this week? Can we pray?